get after it this morning. We'll be working through the verses that Chris read for us. Father, thank you for the body of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are the God who guides. You are the God who governs. You are the God who is good in all that you do. Today, Lord, as we learn from the New Testament, from the scriptures inspired by your spirit, that each of us has an invaluable, eternal part to play. Our purpose is not negotiable in the body of Christ. Our presence with each other is of absolute necessity. Father, in these last days, in this broken world, in this generation in which you have placed us to accomplish your will, we are asking that you would unite us together, bind us in the deepest of love. Lord, we know, we see clearly that your church is shattered and scattered and divided. But Holy Spirit, we pray in earnest this morning for the church here in this room, for the church gathering in buildings, underground, in, in spaces and places in this city and all across the globe, that you would give us a sense of that unity, a sense of that oneness that we have with the rest of the body of Christ as we are indwelt by and empowered by and filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, may there be such a sense of need in this room, of need for the church in Burien to be together, to express our discipleship by our love for one another. And so now, Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher and our counselor, our comforter, the one who convicts of sin and corrects us as we, in response, repent and trust our Christ, our Savior, our anointed one who has made a way for us where there was no way to be one with you again. Be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why don't we start this morning by talking about human physiology? I mean, why not? Human physiology, we have learned a lot. Medical biology and human biology has made great strides in the last 100 years in understanding the functions of the human body. We understand our skeletons. We understand our nervous systems. We can open up a person's chest and do open heart surgery. We have advanced so far that we can literally take the top of someone's skull, open it up, and do work in their brain with instruments of surgery. It is amazing how much we understand about the human body while simultaneously at the same time the body remains and so many parts and functions of human physiology and biology remain an absolute mystery to modern medicine. For example, there is a layer of connective tissue that runs throughout the human body from the big toe, pinky toe, heel, up through the leg bone, the hip, all the way up through the top of your skull called fascia. It's this connective tissue that contains our muscular structure and connects our ligaments and our bones. And fascia for the medical community is still somewhat of a mystery. Now, chiropractors and deep tissue masseuses, masai? What are the, what's the plural of, what's the plural of massagists? Wait, now massages, wait, we got to stop. Hold on. Let's move on. People that give massages, <laughs> they think that they have figured out what fascia does. And here's an interesting thing about fascia that we've discovered. You can take a tennis ball or a hard baseball, and let's say you have low back problems, and there are instances where you can roll the plantar fascia under your foot, and it will send signals to the brain and the nervous system to release the tension in your left behind cheek. Is that not amazing? There is this mystery that we don't quite comprehend. Eastern medicine seems to have picked up on it thousands of years ago with practices like acupuncture and pressure release techniques and breathing techniques to release all of that inner workings that are so mysterious to modern medicine. We know so little about it that I was listening to a talk given by Eric Jacobson. He's one of the leading researchers on human myofascial release technique and fascia studies. He was doing a, a seminar on low back pain, which like 
80% of the population at some point in their lifetime will suffer from chronic low back pain. And in his little spiel, he said, the hypothesis right now is that maybe chronic low back pain has possibly something to do with a dysfunction in the lumbar fascia. That is at least part of the puzzle, possibly, maybe. <laughs> This is a medical professional. We have no clue what's happening. All we know is that it's there and that it is affecting the rest of the body. It's unseen. It's not, it's not sure what exactly it's doing. We just know that it's there and that it's indeed doing something. And the summary point by way of introduction for us this morning is that while we know so much about the human body and we can see so many things about the human body and we can understand so many things about the human body, there are so many mysteries remaining about the function of the human body and how one tiny little thing or one unseen part or one misunderstood function of the body either affects the rest of the body, the brain, the heart, the spine, the lumbar, the low back, the heel, the toes, either for health or for unhealth. And that takes us to where the Apostle Paul has the Corinthian church. The Apostle Paul is laboring diligently and prayerfully to bring the Corinthian church to maturity, to understand that every facet of their community is like a human body. There are parts that they see that are easily understood what they do. There are parts that they can manipulate and understand and watch and observe. And then within the Corinthian body, Paul wants them to understand that there are unseen parts. He calls them unpresentable in some cases, dishonorable in some cases. But these unseen, seemingly unnoticed parts of the human body, Paul says, is analogous to the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants the Corinthian church to mature to a point where they learn to discern all of the parts of the body and rightly honor the parts of the body, loving one another unto the glory of God and for the good of the world. We see that there in verse 12 where Paul writes, just as the body Corinthian church, taproot church, is one and has many members and all the members of the body Body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Understand that there is this connective tissue by the Holy Spirit that unites the Christians in this room one unto another, and we don't know mysteriously how we affect each other for health or unhealth. And the great mystery is this little community, this cell of the body of Christ is influencing what's going on over at Burian EV Free and Tim's place over at Highline and all around the globe. This mysterious body intricately intertwined one with another by the Holy Spirit, Paul says. How and who is part of the body of Jesus Christ? Well, Paul goes on here and he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We are brought into the body of Christ not by our own choosing. My finger didn't up and of its own volition decide to be part of my body. No, it was born into and part of my body at conception. And so Paul reminds the Corinthian church that to be part of the body is not a decision that we make something that we do, check off a box, today I'm deciding to be part of the body. No, instead, by immersion into the Spirit, when we became believers, if in this room today you have said, Jesus, I surrender to you as the Lord of my life. You be the guide and the God of my life. Govern all the doings and decisions of my life. If you have done that, then you in that moment were immersed, baptized, deluged, washed, brought into by the Holy Spirit, this connection into the rest of the body of Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. And who comes into the body of Christ? Everyone. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, Mexicans, Asians, Koreans, Cambodians, Vietnamese, African Americans, Native Americans, Indians, this 
swath, this vast tapestry of humanity are all wooed by the Holy Spirit, convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Holy Spirit, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of economic status, poor, rich, regardless of color of skin, education, regardless of effort, religion, background, all humanity is wooed, convicted, and converted, and immersed by the Holy Spirit into this one body. Here at Taproot, we honor that reality by earnestly praying to be a diverse community of people. We live in one of the most diverse places in the United States of America. And so we are praying earnestly to reflect out in the world this amazing body of Christ with Asian eyes and American eyes and black skin and white skin and Mexican skin and all of this vast display of God's glory in humanity being brought into this particular body. And it is from this one spirit that the body draws its nourishment. And so it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, what your background is, what your economic status is, we all together are now drawing our life from the Spirit. Paul says we were made to drink of one Spirit. Remember, these people were out in the deserts. And so water was the source of life. So too for us, now we draw our life from the Holy Spirit. So what Paul's going to do now is he's going to take the Corinthian church through a series of points of understanding. He wants them to understand the nature of the body as he wants us today to understand it. He wants them to understand the necessity of the body, one of us unto the other, the need that we have for each other. And third, he wants to talk to them about the nurturing of the body, how we care for one another. Let's get after it here, beginning in verse 15. The nature of the body. The nature of the body. Paul says in verse 15, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If you today have said, Jesus, save me, Jesus, you're my Lord, no matter what you feel, no matter even what your experience has been in the midst of the church, I recognize that some of you have been dismissed, some of you have been hurt, some of you have been looked over, some of you have been ignored. This happens in the broken world that we live in. Regardless of your experience, you are, the nature of the body is this. If you have confessed Christ, you are part of the body. You are an intricate and important, maybe unseen, maybe misunderstood, like fascia is in our modern medicine, part of the body. And you have influence on every other part of the body in this mysterious way that none of us could ever quantify or fathom or explain perfectly. We can, because we live in a broken world, and because of sin, and because we are idolaters, we can subtly begin to believe the lie that we have no place or part in the body. One of you may be sitting there today, believing that lie, that you don't have a place in the body, that you're not seen, that you don't really influence anybody else in this world or in the church for the glory of God and for the good of this world. David Garland, one of my favorite commentators on Corinthians, at least at this point, nails it. He says, ears that constantly hear someone say how beautiful the eyes are can easily get the idea that they are inconsequential, and the eyes can easily get the idea that they are all important. No matter your role, you have to today, because of the nature of the body of Christ, embrace the truth and fight off the lie that you are insignificant, unimportant, unseen. You are of eternal significance, eternal importance in the body of Christ, regardless of your experience or what you feel. Number two, on the nature of the body of Christ. Your part, as I've said already, is absolutely invaluable. Read with me there again in verse 17. So it's Paul saying it, not me. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
What Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is every part is important, not only for what you do. You need eyes to see. You need ears to hear. You need fascia to hold it all together. But every part's value is also vested in the fact that the eyes can't hear and the ears can't see. There are parts that cannot be done by anybody else but you. And so your value and your importance and your part that you play in the body of Christ is based on not only what you do, but on the fact that nobody else in this room and nobody else in this world can do what you are to be doing in the body of Christ. How important is that? trying to keep it in check here because I've been thinking about this for over a week. The shame narrative in the Christian culture is so deeply entrenched. We are so dismissive of the value that God has of us. We listen to these lies, this plague that runs through our minds, preaching our worthlessness and our valuelessness and our lack of importance and our insignificance. And the scriptures come and say, you are of such infinite value not only for who you are and what you do because but also because no one else in this entire world can play the part that you play as an individual cell in the body of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the nature of the body. You're part of it no matter what. Your part is invaluable not only for what you do, but because nobody else can do it. Thirdly, and this is going to ruffle some feathers, maybe, your part is both providential and a partnership. I'm going to say this very provocatively for the theologians in this room because it's going to really fan you into flame. Please don't email me till I get through this point, okay? <laughs> Literally, without God working through you, without you, let me phrase it this way, make it as provocative as I can. Without you, God cannot do what he intended to do in the world the way he wants to. Amen. Let, me, let me speak to this. We are, a, we are what we've come to call a reformed-ish church, which means that we're, we believe that God is sovereign over all things. We believe that God sees all things, appoints all things, is the controller, maker, designer, and doer of all things. But I have noted, coming out of the coming out of a non-reformed world into a heavily reformed world, and now I'm living in this like reformed-ish space. For this very reason, there is a subtle tendency for the community of faith that exalts the sovereignty of God to adopt a sit-back-and-watch-God-do-it attitude about what he's doing in the world. In other words, when I say God cannot do what he wants to do in the world the way he wants to without you, some hyper-reformed theologian is sitting there saying, God is sovereign. How dare you diminish the glory of God? He can do whatever he wants. Yes, and what he wants to do is use you. Partner with you. He providentially created Adam and Eva, Adam and Eve, Humanity. He providentially, sovereignly, with purposes, created them so that they would partner with him, walk in the cool of the day with him, to go out and with him in their presence, cultivate, flourishing, and subdue the earth. And so our part in the body of Christ is providentially orchestrated. He brought you in sovereignly. He ordained purposes for you to walk in. Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship. That Greek word workmanship is poema. You are his poem, his expression. And you have works for which you are to, you were ordained to walk in these works. But you walk with him as a partner, which means that you respond to him. And you can diminish what he wants to do in the world through you by your denial of the very part that he wants you to play. It is the great mystery of human responsibility and God's sovereignty, which I've quit trying to figure out. He's God. And what we have revealed to us is our responsible part in partnering with him and intentionally praying, what place do I have? What part do I play? What is it you are wanting to do through me? Don't let me miss it. You guys have heard me get all up on a soapbox about this in American Christianity. I want to say it comfortingly and convictingly to you. Don't waste your life twiddling about with the ridiculous things of this world. 
Work for the glory of God in whatever you're doing. To whatever you put your hand, may it be made holy by the Holy Spirit himself because you have purposes and a place and a part that is of infinite value. And it may be like fascia, misunderstood, unseen, even ignored. But it holds everything together. What if you are holding everything together? That's your part. And nobody knows it. How mysterious. How amazing is that? The nature of the body. You're part of it. Whether you've experienced that or felt that or not, your part is invaluable. And your part is providential while being simultaneously a partnership with the God who made you and ordained it for his purposes. Let's talk about, as Paul does, the necessity of the body. The necessity of the body. How we need each other. Picking up there in verse 21. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, hand, nor again the head to the feet. Feet, I don't need you anymore. It's an absolute contradiction of logic. There is no part of my body that does not absolutely, with total necessity, need the other parts of the body for flourishing. What we say is being fully human. We call it deformities when we're born with missing parts because that's not the fullness of God's creative intent. And so there is this absolute necessity that we have to understand to rightly relate to each other. In verse 21, we learn that we literally, as human beings, and this flies in the face of American individualized, I am autonomous, I do my own thing, I don't need anybody else, culture that we swim in. We literally cannot be who we are. We cannot know who we are apart from each other. We are social creatures. Evolutionary theory is just now beginning to catch up with what theologians have known for thousands of years. That we literally know who we are in context, in context of mom and dad and brother and sister and aunt and uncle. We know who we are, our part, what we play, our personality in relationship with other personalities around us. And what Paul is saying, Corinthian Church and Taproot Church, is you personally, as an individual member of the body, you can't know if you're a hand until you know that you're actually connected to the arm and you can't know that the arm bone's connected to the shoulder bone. I was going to try to make it through this whole sermon without singing that song and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. In other words, to discern who you are, to find that deep-seated significance and that sense of self, you have to be aware of how you integrate and interplay and intertwine with the other selves around you. And in the body of Christ, this is a massive anemia. It's a massive anemia that we are intentionally, prayerfully fighting against with intentional discipline. We are deciding to exercise the discipline of community so that we can be with one another and see how our gifts, see how the Spirit manifests himself in us in relationship to each other. We've been highlighting here through this series of sermons what I stole from one of my professors at Western Seminary, this idea of the ministry of presence, the ministry of presence. We've been talking about the ministry or the service of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the ministry of the presence of the church in culture. But here on this point, I want to highlight for us the ministry of presence with each other and illuminate some of the mystery here that I think we miss in American Christianity. And our church suffers from this sickness as well. I think that many of us fall prey to it all too easily and we need to turn from it for the sake of flourishing. It is that when we are present with one another, I don't want this to get weird, but when we are present with one another, there is something both mysterious and miraculous and metaphysical that goes beyond the American, we're getting something done. Just being in the Sunday gathering, I am persuaded 
That there is something as we sit with one another under the preaching of God's word, under the reading of God's word, there is something connective happening. There's a healing that's happening. There's an energizing that's happening. There's a connection and an intertwining that is happening just as we go out and we get our cups of coffee and we eat our grapes or our donuts or whatever they have out there for us this morning. That simple intermingling at the Sunday gathering There's something supernatural in that, something of vital importance. There is something metaphysical and miraculous and mysterious that happens when we intentionally decide, I'm going to go and be part of an HG, a home gathering. I'm going to be knowing other people in a smaller context, and I'm going to be known by them because it's in that place that these mysterious interconnected things happen in the body of Christ. These relationships are unfolding. These conversations are happening. These manifestations of the Spirit are happening in a very, don't think miraculous, angels and lights and trumpets. Think very earthy, very normal, almost unnoticed way. And the issue that I'm addressing in Western Christianity is the concept that we can somewhat randomly be in attendance with other Christians. Now listen, I will be the first to confess that this is my huge struggle. I don't struggle with the discipline of reading scriptures. I don't struggle with even, well, I do struggle with fasting. Fasting's terrible, but I do it. <laughs> I don't struggle with the discipline of silence and solitude. In fact, the more quiet and the higher up on the mountain I am with less people around me, the more I'm like, this is life. I'm energized. I'm an introvert, though most of you wouldn't know that about me. And so the, the discipline for me is the discipline of community. I've confessed this to my HD over the last year a number of times. In fact, every HD I've ever been a part of, I have to tell them. Virtually every Tuesday I find myself saying, oh, I don't want to go. I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I've got this going on, i got that going on, we got the kids going here, got the kids going there, this is one more thing on my plate, and then when I start to think that way, I immediately know, nope, now I need to exercise the discipline of going and being with my community, there's something connecting happening there. I know who I am, and you know what's amazing for me, is being in an HG where I'm not Pastor Danny, where I just get to be part of the body and exercise and be manifesting the spirit in different ways other than just being a set of lips up here all the time, which is the way I often feel. I'm just a set of lips, blah, 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 blah. But just to be part of the body of Christ. Here's what I want to say. In our church, for us, I want you to hear this pastorally. Healthy Christianity that understands the body makes the Sunday gathering and makes HGs a discipline. A discipline. Now, I'm not saying that you can't miss Sunday mornings. I'm not saying that you can't have large swaths of time where you've got something going on on Sunday morning or you've got work that keeps you out of Sunday morning or keeps you out of an HG. But on the whole, healthy body understanding says it is necessary for me to exercise the discipline of being with God's people on Sunday morning, being with God's people in an HG. And beyond that, being with God's people in the midst of other people with no agenda at all, just other than to connect and hang out and let those metaphysical things happen. Again, as I said last week, I can hear it already. Some are sitting there saying, no, Danny, legalism, legalism, legalism. No, I'm just going to say this is love. This is love. I'm persuaded by the Bible and I'm persuaded by the Spirit that this may be one of the greatest needs for the body of Christ in the coming generation. The splintered nature of Christianity, the scriptures and the Spirit lovingly say, intentionally be together with each other. Know who you are as you're together. This isn't to frustrate any of us. Danny, you don't know how hard it is to get there on Sunday morning? Yeah, I do. I've been doing this for 20 years as a Christian. I've got babies. I've got kids. I've, I've run the whole mill of things. And I, I just committed to this. I don't want to use myself as an example, but I will. But even when we're on vacation, my wife will sometimes be a little bit frustrated with me because I'm like, where are we going to church Sunday morning? She's like, my family's like, we just want to sleep in and not go. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I want to go. It's important. Why? Because that's where flourishing happens. Uh, Some may even take this to the degree of, man, are are you getting culty? No, we are becoming biblically Christian. Regular attendance, intentional, disciplined ministry, service of the presence with each other, guys, that's not culty. That is biblical Christianity. 
Second, though, we see here that because we need each other so badly and we need everyone involved in the body to some degree, at some proximity, we have to have that interplay with each other in some measure, Paul says then we also necessarily give attention to those that wouldn't necessarily be given as much attention. We necessarily and intentionally give more attention, more covering, more honor to the weaker parts of our body, the indispensable parts of our body. Read with me there in verses 22 through 24 very briefly to address what Paul's saying. He's saying, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts, we are treated with greater, we treat with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. What is Paul saying? Here's what he's saying. Paul, in context of the body, is summarizing the whole Christian message, which is totally backwards in the world. The entirety of the Christian message is this. The weak are actually the strong ones. That the way up is to actually humble yourself and go down. That the servant is the leader. That the smallest child is actually the example of what the kingdom will be like. It's all backwards compared to the world. One scholar that I read on this passage said this. The church is not to be like its surrounding society, which always honors those who are already honored. It is to be countercultural and bestow the greatest honor on those who seem to be negligible. Let me put this in context. If we're maturing as a Christian body of Christ, the tendency will be to honor the face people, the senior leaders that are face people. That would be me and Jim, Darren, Will, Rebecca, this group. The people that are seen tend to be honored or thought of as the gifted ones, the unique ones, empowered by the Spirit, doing the work of ministry. Hogwash, rubbish, bleh. And then there's those groups of people within the church that are never seen or even avoided. And the backwards nature and necessity of Christian need for each other is that we actually look for those that seem negligible and are unseen and we honor them and value them. Two quick illustrations of this, one from my past and one from my present. Years ago, I served with an associate pastor at my old church as a youth pastor. And he and his wife had had twin boys. And the boys were born with severe oxygen depletion. So they were both severely brain damaged. One worse than the other, Josh and Willie. Now, Josh was functional. Willie was um, very, very handicapped mentally and even physically. And my wife worked with him. Willie would eat a banana and it was... Hard to watch. Drool and slobber, and Willie could not communicate. He, when he was angry and frustrated, he would, his hands would look this, and he would draw attention to himself. He, he had trouble walking at times. His fits would be... And I remember as a young Christian, a young Christian, meeting Willie and watching people interact with Willie and watching children stare at Willie, and many, many people dispensable. I'm uncomfortable. I don't think I want to be around this. I can't watch that. Even my own self, I don't know how to interact with, with this human being. And yet, Ron and Susie, the parents of Josh and Willie, they did something that just blew my mind. And you could attribute it to parental love or you could contribute it to Christian maturity. They treated those boys like invaluable important, indispensable facets of not only their personal family, but of all of Lighthouse Christian Fellowship and all of the community in Twin Falls, Idaho. Ron honored his sons as sons, not as deformed, not as diminished, not as less than, though Willie to this day will be under care until the day he dies, he was honored. My wife honored him, took care of him, saw him as an indispensable, needed part of the body of Christ. Years later, I come here. I don't know if Jerry's here today. But Jerry Lou had a sister. And she had these same uh, mental handicaps. And she passed away here just a number of years ago. And I remember telling Jerry, when we get into the kingdom... We're going, to, we're going to see her. 
We're going to see all the ways in which her, her mental diminishments, all of these things that we saw as dispensable and dishonorable and we kind of wanted to, to avoid it, we're going to see how that brought Christ out of us and in us and, and through us and to us. The point being that in this place today, we, if we are maturing, are looking for those who feel like they're diminished and unseen. And we give them due honor by being with them, being close to them, and learning how our interplay with them interacts in our own world. Let's move on. We have the nature of the body. We have the necessity of the body. And then we have the nurture of the body, one unto another. Paul goes on here now, and he talks about this necessary care for one another. And in verse 24b, the latter half of verse 24, he picks up and he says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What Paul is saying is, rather than division in the body of Christ... There is to be this deliberate looking for and caring for one another. And it is to be to such a degree, and this is what blows my mind, that when one of the members of the body suffers, we, excuse me, we actually suffer with them. That when one of the members of the body is exalted, one of the churches just begins to explode and grow rather than us sitting around grumbling, why won't God bless us? Why won't we grow? We find ourselves saying, well, we're being so blessed. That church is just knocking it out of the park. When one is honored, all the rest is honored. When one is hurting, all the rest are hurting. And this happens in the most small ways. I think that we don't quite understand that when somebody in the body of Christ is hurting, it affects everybody else whether we realize it or not. Quick story, and then we'll wrap things up this morning. Years ago, in a different life, completely different life, I was a construction guy. I ran big hydro cranes, and I put up big high-rise signs and swung trusses, and I was your quintessential Idaho uh, construction guy. And I've told this story before. So some of you have heard it. But I was up in Fairfield, Idaho, which is uh, nestled into the Sawtooth Mountains of central Idaho. And it was like January or February. I was up there running a big 50-ton hydro crane. We were building this big uh, farm thing. And uh, I was swinging big beams onto this big construction project, and there was probably 15 guys on the project. Well, at one point, we needed to get one of the beams that was stacked off of this particular place so we could get straps under it and get it swung up into where it needed to be. So the foreman got us all down off the crane and got all the guys on it, and we were going to do a one, two, three thing and roll it onto the straps. Super dangerous. This is before OSHA for all you construction guys. And we were in Fairfield, Idaho, literally in the middle of nowhere. It's like minus 10 degrees, so it's freezing cold. So I hear the foreman, one, two, three, we all pull. Then one of the guys is like, watch out. And I feel the beam come down and go, bam, and land on the tip of my finger. And I thought, oh, oh, man, that got me good. I'm probably going to lose a fingernail. I get back up on the crane, and I feel warm all through my hand, and I feel blood coming out of my glove. I'm like, good grief, did it cut my fingernail off already? And I pull off my glove, and the tip of my finger falls on the ground. It had literally smashed, not the whole finger, just this little tiny tip of the finger right here. So then one of my buddies comes running over, Brigadoo, check it out, I found your finger, man, throws it into my, throws it into my hand, and off to the hospital we go. So we get there, and the doctors sew the very tip of my finger on. They, like, they peeled the, uh, here we go, they peeled like the fingernail away, and then they stuffed it all down in there. They stuff it back on here like this, and then they sew it around like this. And six weeks later, it was like green and purple and smelled like gym socks. And I was like, something is wrong with my finger. I go back to the doctor. The doctor's like, oh, the graft or the, the finger didn't take. I'm sorry, it's dead. Uh, you've got a couple choices. We can... Take it back off, and what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to graft it. So they cut off the dead part of my finger. Remember, this is just the tip. I've still got my finger on everything. They cut it off, get down right to where the very tip of the bone is, and then they cut a football-sized 
chunk of skin out of the side of my hand. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I, my dad is like tough as nails, never gets sick. They're cutting this thing out and the doctor pulls this football sized like this football shaped chunk of skin out of the side of my hand and he bobbles it. He's like dancing around with it like this, trying not to drop it and my dad's just like, <laughs> trying not to throw up watching this. They take this chunk of skin and they shove it down around the bone in my finger and they sew it on. So now, a very small part of my body that should have been my hand is now actually the tip of my finger. You wouldn't think it's a big deal, would you? I play with this thing 30 years later because I have no feeling in the tip of my finger. I'm constantly picking at it, constantly wondering what's going on, constantly having to trim away my, my funky, weird, little short, stubby fingernail. It's all weird looking. And the worst of it is I'm a guitar guy. Do you know what it's like trying to chord with a finger that you can't feel? Do you know what it's like trying to make a run with a finger that you can't feel? A tiny little part suffers. And my whole body suffers. If you are hurting today, we are suffering with you. It may not be noticed Maybe small and unseen and seemingly insignificant, but there is something mysterious in the body of Christ where in your hurt, we are hurting with you. That fascial connective tissue by the Spirit is sending signals all through the rest of the body. And so we need to intentionally discern where is the hurt? How might we come around it? How do we send the white blood cells to it? Those that have encouragement, those that have finances for those that are hurting financially. How do we help each other and support one another and be the body? And so too, when one of us is lifted up and one of the body parts becomes healthy and seen and wow, what a great set of eyes you've got, so beautiful. We all say, yes, those are beautiful eyes. They see so well, and we rejoice, even if you're the foot or the butt cheek or whatever. I mean, let's just think through, think through the human body. Paul gets to these places. I didn't go here in the passages, but I'm going to right now. In these passages, Paul literally talks about the unpresentable parts. He's talking about all this space that we don't want anybody to see. That's the invaluable parts of the body. Is this not amazing? And it's the practice of the presence of the Spirit that anoints this and makes this happen. And it's the practice of the presence of the body, one with one another, where we begin to discern, this is who I am, and this is what I do, and this is my part, and I'm going to fulfill it. And in that, we become the practice of the presence of Christ in culture, that non-anxious presence in the midst of panic, that inoculating force to the virus of anxiety and cynicism. There's the body of Christ. Having cups of coffee at Burian Press, grabbing a couple beers down at Elliott Bay Brewery, hitting the gyms, going to the library, doing our thing together. We'll close with the good news within the body and throughout the body. On our first point, the nature of the body comes about through the gospel. When God convicted you that he is your savior and you turn to him and surrender, God recreated you by the Holy Spirit. He gave you a new nature. It's, it's as if there he hovered over the darkness and the tohu vahufu of, of Genesis 1, the wilderness, the untamed, the, the void. And there was the Spirit hovering in the darkness. So too your soul was in the same state and God the Holy Spirit was hovering over you. And when you surrendered, the Spirit recreated you. He ordered you. He put right desire deep down in you, and now he draws out of you those deep inclinations and desires. And the good news is that he did it. You didn't choose that. He chose you. He came after you. He's totally for you. He did it, and he does it, and he will complete it. The good news of the gospel is that our doing in all of this, in some ways, is sit and watch while simultaneously partnering and praying and doing. It's glorious, but it's not contingent upon our efforts, our abilities to make you be you and make others be them. It is God, the Holy Spirit, doing this through us. The God who made you thinks that you are so necessary to his purposes 
that he literally was stripped naked, beaten, shamed, and humiliated. He was utterly dishonored so that you would be forever honored in his death becoming your life. If you don't believe you're important, come to the cross this morning where the maker of the universe indwelt a human body and allowed that body to be beaten to death so that you wouldn't be. That's how important you are. That is how important you are to him. Let that sink in. His purposes for which he wants to fulfill his work in the world through you is so important that the only way he could do it was by sending his son to die your death and raise to new life, assuring you that no matter what comes, no matter if you're unseen and insignificant and you end up being the mysterious fascia connective tissue that nobody knows anything about but you hold everything together, Jesus sees you. Jesus died for you. Jesus is alive for you. Jesus is leading you. Jesus empowers you. Jesus is guiding you. And your reward will be great. And finally, he took all of this suffering for us. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one part is exalted, we are all exalted. And that all has its fountainhead in Jesus, who took the ultimate suffering for us, the ultimate pain for us, the pain that none of us could endure, the pain that none of us could survive. Jesus suffered that for us, and he also now is the ultimate honor. He is the ultimate exaltation. He is all of these things in his resurrection. And so too, we now are assured and can rejoice in our resurrection. They don't have any clue what fascia does. But it holds everything together. You are of infinite value, infinite importance. Play your part. Don't miss out. Cast those lies aside and come to the cross of Jesus and be embraced. Father, we are embraced by you today. We take up our residence in the body of Christ with thankfulness and humility, knowing that we didn't come in with our grand gift set. That's such a young man's game to think of themselves as so important. <laughs> Lord, maturing Christians... Deep in the soul, as they're getting gray in their beards, as they're getting wrinkles and crow's feet around their eyes in their souls, though the outer tent is passing away, the inward man and woman is being renewed, and in that renewal is this mature backwards vision of the world as it should be, a world where those who are dishonorable and avoided and often overlooked are seen as valuable, where a society seeks to serve one another and help one another and suffer with one another it, these things that we're talking about, the body, is really the expression of the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the church, right here, and all of our brokenness, our cynicism, our sinfulness, our division, as janky as we are, as diseased as we are, it does not change the fact that we are the inbreaking of that kingdom. We are the body of Christ. And so, Lord, in the communion meditation, I pray that we would have this deep sense of one another. Lord, I pray for those that we are entangled to who are believing the lie that they are not part of this. Lord, who are suffering and hurting. Bring them in by your gracious hand of healing and help. Send, Lord, those white blood cells, those gifts of encouragement, those gifts of boldness, those gifts of leadership and exhortation to gather in the body of Christ, not only at Taproot Church, but throughout the churches in Burien, throughout the churches in our city and in our state and in our world. Gather in the body of Christ in these last days. Father, may we partake of communion with a weighty sense that so important to you was our purpose and our part in this world that you would die for us, to free us, to forgive us, to heal us. And that is the ultimate healing. That is the ultimate place of connection. Jesus, you prayed in John 17 that we would be one with each other and one with you, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Once again, garden people, intimately present with you and present in this world and present with each other.
And so we leave this prayer and these works in your hands. We ask you to bless in Jesus' name, amen.
I think that we quench and we grieve the spirit when we say, like Adam and Eve did, you know, I think that it should be going this way, Lord, in my life. You know, like I've got my plan written down in my journal, in my brain, and you have not met my expectations. <laughs> Today he says, I'm your God. I'm your God. You have to take off that fig leaf because everything that you've written, the dreams and the expectations of your lives, what you want to be in this world, an image to the world in your own making, is a fig leaf and it looks silly in comparison to the clothing of righteousness that Jesus Christ has granted you freely. And then I think third, and, and I'll close with this. I think we quench and we grieve the spirit in that God longs for intimacy with us. I know this is going to get weird. And I've been in counseling for three years to, to work through my own issues. Like part of the reason I'm emotionally not able to just enter in is because I'm so walled off. All these things that I'm working through very transparently with you guys right now so that we can be family because what God wants with us is to know each other. We are the kingdom breaking in to know each other, to know our hurts, to know our fears, to know our insecurities, and to point to our Lord and hear him say, through us, you are Lord. I don't need to fear. I don't need to, to prop up these things. I don't need to cover these things. It's extremely vulnerable. It's horrifying. But what we're about to do is take communion, and communion is where we come to the cross and we remember he was stripped naked, so I don't need to fear. If I'm seen for what I am, he sees me and he wants me to be close to him. No matter what I've done, no matter what I've said, no matter where I failed, no matter what I've hurt, he wants to hold me close. He wants me to know him knowing me. It's this reciprocal relationship. And it is a surrender to that, just coming to him with shame and guilt and burdens and wrongs and letting him just embrace us in his presence. For some, that looks like an emotional experience at certain points in time. For others, it's just a cerebral ascension to this is what God is doing. And for all of us in this room, it is a total surrender to God, whatever you want to do. I'm not going to script this. I'm not going to try to engineer some sort of emotional reaction from God's people. You shouldn't be sitting there saying, oh, I hope I get the, the Holy Spirit Twitter flies and butterflies. No, just surrender and be close to him. He is dangerous and dangerously in love with you. Dangerous and dangerously in love with you. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, and tenderly and carefully with the hands of the most gentle love. Remove these false fig leaves that we might be stripped bare before you as a family. Be intimate and close to you and close with one another. Guard us, Lord, from the wiles of the devil who would seek to isolate us. Seek even now, Lord, the accuser is going about this room and he's seeking to shame. He's pointing out with his finger, I know you did this. I know your thoughts here. And then he's looking at you, the accuser is looking at you, Holy Spirit, and looking at you, Father, and looking at you, Son, saying, you can't receive this one. You can't love this one. He's disgusting. She's so ugly, so perverted, so selfish. And you're saying, I know. And I took that all upon myself, and they are free. All I see is selflessness in them. All I see is beauty and purity and perfections, and I hold them close to me. And as Uzzah reached out to touch the presence of God and was slain dead, I took their death that they might come into the presence of God. As Ananias and Sapphira sought to falsify their identity, they died in it. I've taken their false identities upon myself and who they truly are, I know more perfectly than they do. And so draw us, Holy Spirit. Draw us into your presence. I trust you to do the work no man can do. Help us to surrender to you together today as we partake of communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.